Welcome to Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. We give vitalistic chiropractors a chance to learn from the best around the world, discovering how they overcame their challenges and achieved success. In order for chiropractic to thrive, we must have thriving chiropractors. Now listen up, it's time to crush the curse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors. Uh, today, I get to go to Germany. I've been all over yes. the world. I get to go to Germany and see my buddy, my fellow Palmer grad, who uh, we graduated from the same school. We're around the same time. I don't think we, we, we met each other at the time, but we have, a, we have the same no, friends. No, no, you're older, than I, you're older than I am, Don. You graduated before me. <laughs> I was ahead. I was ahead in the class. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, but we've, we've ran into each other, uh, like different parts around the world and in Scotland and, and we we're just recently in Cairo, Europe and he, he did an amazing talk at Cairo, Europe and had everybody jumping up and down, even though that he lost his voice and he was like, kind of sounded a little bit like squeaky. <laughs> well, thanks for that. <laughs> but it was a very manual, man, manly squeaky. So it was good. So Dr. Danny Constable from Germany, welcome to the podcast, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to see you, Don Mac. Yes. Like, uh, uh, like you said, it's been a while. Uh, I think you graduated like uh, at the end of my first or second try. So I actually did see you and knew your face and knew who you were because, you know, you were like the kid pin on campus back then. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, as things go, we sort of lost, uh, lost sight of one another, or lost contact or whatever. And then a few years ago, we saw each other at the Edinburgh Lectures in uh, yes. Edinburgh as well. Yeah, and, and that was great catching up with you. And then uh, just recently here in uh, April at uh, Cairo Europe here in Malaga, caught up with you and Brandy. It was great to see you guys again as well. Well, it's always great to be on an airplane and then just see somebody like uh, four rows down and going. That's hey. right. That's right. Because you guys got to connect it through Frankfurt, and then yeah, because uh, I lived just near Frankfurt, I got my flight from Frankfurt. That's right. And I was walking down the aisle, and I saw you two guys just ah uh, passing out in your seats there. That's right. Yeah, I just had a little jet lag going on, but that was good to yeah. get us a little sparked up, getting ready for for. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, that's right. Because you were you were uh, you guys were Curry, you at rookies, right? Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. An, that was an amazing event. It was. Uh, it was like so much. And yeah, you prepped us for it too. You said how good it was, and so we. Yeah, I, I'd heard yeah, about exactly. it before, but never been there. So, how many have you been to? Uh, oh, that I have, well, I haven't been to all of them. I've only been going for the last sort of, I suppose, four or five years. So it might be like my fifth or sixth, because mm -hmm. they uh, they happen twice a year in April and uh, October every year, and they've been going. I think for. 12, 13, 14 years now, I believe. Yeah. Um, but I kind of only got uh, cottoned onto it um, after sort of my shift took place, you know, from, uh, from, you know, working in a, in a, in a, in a mechanistic pain-based model before I made my shift into that uh, vitalistic model. So really only when that sort of happened to me, I cottoned onto them and found out about them and then went there and uh, totally fell in love with the, with the event and with the people who run it, um, Dr. Hudson and, and his wife, um, Lynn McEvania. And, uh, and have been making it at least once a year part of my program every year because uh, I just love it and it's a great way to get, uh, to get dipped again here in Europe without having to go back to the States, yeah. That's awesome. Well, we'll, we'll get yeah. into that shift because we're, we're all about the shifts, baby. Getting people That's into it, the man. vitalistic model. Get us into That's the it. cool group. <laughs> yep, <laughs> you know, hang out with the cool kids. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what I always like to do is just go back to like the very beginning. Like, how, to, how did uh, how did you get into this crazy profession in the first place? Dude, I went into uh, <clears throat> chiropractic because I got adjusted. 
and um, basically, I mean, growing up in in Melbourne in Australia, uh, we play uh, we play a pretty pretty rough and tumble kind of sport called Aussie rules football or Australian rules football. Uh, at least we do in in the part of Australia where I come from in Melbourne and the southeast, and it's a pretty physical kind of game and. Um, you know, we have like underage competition, of course. And then when you turn sort of 18, 19, you sort of go and play with the big boys, go and play with the men. But uh, the club where I played at the time, um, you know, I was never really big and muscular and strong, but I was always pretty quick, could run pretty fast and, and you know, had pretty good ball skills. Well, that sounds funny saying that now. Um, <laughs> so like at the, at the age of 15, I had the chance of playing with, uh, with you know, with the big boys, which was great for my ego, but it was uh, an absolute disaster for my body. And, uh, and, you know, <clears throat> after the first handful of games, I was just, you know, a physical wreck and I uh, wasn't spending my time on the training track anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I was spending my, uh, my weeks in the, in the medical room just trying to get up and get fit for the next day or for the next game. And, uh, and that just wasn't happening for me. And, you know, the club that I was at was, at a, was a pretty good club, so we had a pretty good medical department. Um, and, you know, like I said, they were patching me up week to week, but it wasn't really doing anything for me. And then uh, the father of a... Of a, of a um, of a player colleague of mine said, look, I don't know if he can help you, but uh, go and check out this guy. And he gave me a business card, a business card of a guy named Dr. Jeff Long, who is a chiropractor in Croydon in, uh, in Melbourne, where I come from. And uh, I looked up just recently, actually, to see if he's still about. And, uh, and lo and behold, he is. He's actually still in practice. And That's cool. Uh, yeah. And I'm talking about, uh, well, I was 15. I'm now 41. So we're talking about 26 years ago. And I thought he was an old man then. <laughs> so, uh, but look, I can't, I can't tell you how old he is or, or how long he's been in practice um, because it's a, it's a beautiful example of you never know how far reaching, you know, the things you think, say or do today will change the lives of millions tomorrow because, I, to be honest, I was really only a handful of times there. But that handful of times totally changed my, my worldview and, uh, and turned me on to chiropractic and straight away I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help as many people as I possibly could the way that this guy helped me. And that's why the rest of my schooling and the rest of my time in Melbourne was dedicated to getting my backside into chiropractic school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, we do have a school in Melbourne, the RMIT, the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. And uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, because in the, in the prep for this, uh, for this podcast, you said, you know, sometimes people like hearing hard luck stories. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, obstacles that people have overcome because, um, you know, I applied to get into RMIT at school, you know, dedicating the last sort of two or three years of my high school life to do everything I needed to do to get in there. And uh, at the time, it was like a three-part process. Um, and it was, a, it was based on your grades coming out of high school. It was based on a paper that you wrote um, about chiropractic or, or, you know, why you would make a great chiropractor or why you would be a great addition to the chiropractic profession. And then uh, an interview on a three-headed panel. And that three-headed panel um, constituted a field doctor, a staff doctor, and a fifth-year chiro student. And so coming out of high school, my grades were pretty good. Um, you know, my, my majors in high school were English and English literature. Both of my parents were English teachers, so I wrote a pretty kick-ass essay, if I may say so. <laughs> um, and my interview went pretty well. I've always been a guy who's been pretty good with the, you know, the gift of the gab. And, uh, and the interview went pretty well. Um, so I was pretty shattered when, you know, six weeks later, I got notification that I didn't get accepted, but, um, you know, I was, I was, you know, kind of, you know, an athlete, I don't want to, you know, go over the top or whatever, but I played, you know, sport my entire life. I, I understood the concept about 
working your way through the ranks and earning stripes and things like that. So I knew that about 1,500 applicants applied for about 45, 50 positions in the course. So I thought, okay, well, you know, it's possible that there are better candidates than I am. And, uh, you know, I'll just put my head down and my bum up and I'll work hard this year at, at uni and I'll do something else and I'll reapply next year. Mm-hmm. And, and I did just that. I worked my ass off uh, that year in university. I did a parallel course to the chiropractic course of study on campus. And we actually had quite a number of, of common courses with the Cairo students. And, uh, and during that year, I was thinking, <clears throat> you know, what's going on? Because a few of these people in the chiropractic course, they were, they were odd characters, to say the least, you know. And, um, <laughs> and I thought, okay, but, you know, maybe they're super smart or super good or, you know, whatever they happen to be. And so, you know, I got uh, so sort of to translate it for North American audiences, I suppose. I got like a 4.0 in my um, that first year at university. And again, I wrote an, another kick-ass essay. And, uh, and my interview went really, really, really well. And as, a, as you know, as, as fate should be, at the fifth year student on my interview of the second year was the girlfriend of my high school sport teacher. Oh. And uh, so I had a bit of an insider onto that panel. And uh, so you can imagine how shattered I was when, you know, again, six weeks later, I got the letter that I hadn't been accepted again for the second year in a row. And, uh, and I called up this bird and I said, you know, what's going on? Because, you know, I thought the interview was great. And he said, so she's then, yeah, you were our easiest, our best interviewee. And, uh, and I thought my paper was pretty good. And she said, dude, we gave you a nine and a half out of 10 for your paper. And, you know, I got a 4.0 in my year at uni. Uh, what's going on? And she said, look, I don't know. Uh, you were easily our best candidate this year and I, I can't tell you, I don't know. Wow. And so, um, you know, not taking no for an answer, I uh, <clears throat> went, uh, went to the university campus to the matriculation office or to the uh, head of the chiropractic school and, uh, you know, not mentioning any names, but, you know, he was a pretty well-known Dutch guy in the chiropractic profession at the time in Australia and uh, I said, you know, very politely because I was, you know, what it was, I was 18 or 19 at the time. And I said, look, my name's Danny Constable and uh, I've just been not accepted into the chiropractic uh, course for the second year in a row. Um, I'm wondering, is there anything that you could tell me, give me some tips how I can improve my chances of, of you know, being accepted and, and you know, becoming a chiropractic student? And he asked me, well, what course are you doing? And I said, well, physical education and human movement. And he said, where? And I said, well, here on campus. And he said, how long is that course of study? You know, knowing very well how long that course of study is. And I said, well, it's four years. And he said, how many years have you done? And I said, well, I've just started my second year because I didn't get into chiropractic school. And he said, well, I suggest you finish your course of studies and then reapply. And I said, so complete the four years of study and then reapply. And he goes, yes, that's right. And, uh, and I said, and then do the full five years of chiropractic school. And he said, yes, that's what I'm suggesting. And I said, well, you know, nine years to become a chiropractor. And he said, well, that's my recommendation, yeah. And, you know, like I said, I was 18 at the time, so nine years is half of my life. <laughs> yeah. Nine years for an 18-year-old guy uh, <laughs> is a massive amount of time. And um, so I was pretty dejected at that. And, uh, and, you know, I turned around and I left his office. And just as I got to the door of his office, and I'll never forget this guy's voice. I can still hear this guy's voice with this, you know, silly little Dutch accent in my head. And he said, um, and I quote, I guess we'll really test your commitment to the profession now, won't we? And that was the last thing he said to me as I left his office. And, uh, and like, like I said, for an 18-year-old kid, it was just like a dagger in the back as I left that guy's office. And uh, so I marched across campus and I went to the matriculation office and I dematriculated. I, I, I'd left college or, or university right there on the spot. I, I was just smashed and, uh, and went home and, uh, and, you know, hit the bottle and got smashed. Like, here, got yeah. smashed. 
and uh, ended up getting a job in the in the mail room of the Melbourne Waterworks. And so my my life went from you know very studious, nerdy, academic, um, to you know spending five days of the week in the basement of the Melbourne Waterworks in the mail room, training for football two or three nights a week, playing football once uh, once a week, and you know getting smashed most nights. And that became, you know, my weekly routine. Wow. And then um, going back to the fifth year student of my panel, who was the, the girlfriend of my high school teacher, that high school sport teacher, who's also now a chiropractor, by the way, a guy named Dr. Peter Goodman in uh, country Victoria in Australia. G'day, Pete, if you're listening. Um, he said, look, why don't you try Palmer? And, uh, and I said, well, what's Palmer? And, uh, and he said, well, you know, it's the fountainhead of chiropractic. It's the original school of chiropractic. And at the time, in the middle 90s, you know, still regarded as the best chiropractic college in the world. Uh, and I said, well, come on, Peter. If RMIT is not going to take me, why in the hell would Palmer, the fountainhead, want to take me? Forget it. Leave me alone. And, uh, and Peter just wouldn't stop leaving me alone. And, uh, and in the end, what he did, um, he actually got Palmer to send me an application form. And so out of the blue in the post, I got an application form for Palmer. And I knew where it had come from. And, um, and I literally put my RMIT application with, with it actually had like a denied stamp on this application. And, and I put it in the envelope and I sent it off just to shut Peter up. And, uh, and you know, my life continued training football, working in the mail room, getting smashed most nights. And then uh, a few weeks later, six weeks later, eight weeks later, I'm not sure how long it was now, uh, I got this letter from Palmer and I'd totally forgotten it. And, uh, and I opened up this letter, totally not expecting what to be reading. Uh, and it said, you know, dear Mr. Consul, we're, we're pleased to inform you that we are prepared to offer you a full academic scholarship to Palmer College of Chiropractic, Davenport, Iowa. We're expecting you here on, um, on the 1st of January, which was in about four weeks' time. So um, that turned my head, uh, my, my, turned my world on its head overnight. Wow. Yeah. And then four weeks later, I was in Davenport, Iowa on the 1st of January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's how I got into Palmer and got into chiropractic. So that's really cool. And I always like this because um, I always remember my first day uh, getting going to Palmer. I came off the plane um, in the old days without having any place to stay, just two hockey bags full of clothes. And then just kind of went to the school. How was your first, what was your first uh, impression of Palmer? Of the, of well, um, I actually went over with my old man. My old man came over with me because um, I'm an only child and I had a good relationship with my dad. We were, you know, um, best of mates, I suppose. And, um, and, you know, he, like I said, I just turned 19. I turned 19 on the 29th of December and we left Melbourne on the 31st of December. And, you know, being in the Southern Hemisphere, it was, you know, high summer. And uh, I remember the day vividly. We left in like 39 degrees heat, you know, for the, so for the North Americans, translate that into Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was hot. And uh, we flew over and we landed in Chicago on the 1st of January. So oh, wow. we, got off the, we got off the plane in Chicago and we thought, well, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. And uh, before I left Melbourne, I knew that, you know, the Midwest was cold and all that kind of stuff. So I went to like this, this winter outdoor supply store in Melbourne. I said, look, I need your thickest winter jacket. I'm going to America and I need your thickest jacket. And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, I've got just the thing for you. And he gave me like this jacket. And it was like the thickest jacket I'd ever seen in my entire life. But like I said, we're talking about the middle 90s here. And, uh, and I was really proud of this jacket. So we got into the hotel and, and we stayed the night in Chicago before we went down to Davenport the next day. And, you know, uh, it was the high year of like the Bulls, you know, the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. And Michael Jordan was huge in Australia. And, you know, I was in the town of, 
of, you know, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls and the Miracle Mile and Michigan Avenue and, oh, we've got to walk down Michigan Avenue and look at the Miracle Mile. And so I walk out of the, of the hotel with, you know, my big winter jacket on. And it's the 1st of January and, you know, the Windy City is not called the Windy City for nothing. <laughs> and uh, so we get out of the hotel and walk down uh, Michigan Avenue towards town. And then we got about 150 metres down that street and we both looked at each other and said, screw this, we're going back to the hotel. <laughs> it was just brutal. So uh, I didn't see Chicago that weekend. But uh, the next day we headed out to uh, Palmer. And uh, as you know, Davenport, Iowa in January is like the last place on earth you want to be. And uh, it was it was grey and wet and white. And I'd, just, I'd never seen snow in my entire life until I'd gone to Davenport. And uh, so we got to like this this apartment, like this 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 like halfway house that had been arranged for us to meet up on our first day and the snow was like halfway up the front door yeah and i was like what the hell is going on yeah <laughs> and uh and so we got like pretty quickly the winter blues like overnight we were jet lagged and everything was everything was just shit and um <laughs> and you know my parents were were separated and were divorced at the time and you know my parents didn't speak to each other and uh and so the next day I went off to Scott Community College because I had to do like a couple of prereqs before I went to went to started uh, started Palmer then in that in that second trimester. Um, and my like I said, my parents don't speak, yeah. But um, I found out later that my dad called my mum that day while I'd gone to to Scott and said, "Look, um, he's not doing good. He's totally down. He's totally depressed. The weather's on top of him." Um, it's a nightmare. I don't think this is going to happen. I think I'm going to be getting on the plane with him. I think we're going to have to bring him home. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's all over. And, uh, <laughs> and I tell the story, I came back uh, that afternoon, like while dad was still on the phone talking to mum, and I came back with two German birds, one on the right, one on the left, yeah, and I walked in the front door and dad's on the phone just goes, ah, forget it, he'll be right, see you later. <laughs> because like on my first day at school, well, I met these. Uh, I met these two lovely German girls, and uh, and we'd hit it off straight away as you know three international students, and uh, and sort of we'd happen to be staying at the same apartment complex and all that kind of stuff. So I got a ride with them back to the apartment complex, and uh, and so I sort of made two friends on the first day, and uh, and that was it. And, uh, and Dad said, "Okay, well he'll be fine," and uh, and I was. So that was good. That's awesome. So <laughs> so uh, so you you graduated and um yeah. how did how did you like how was your experience at Palmer just in general? Like how 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 did you like school? Um I appreciate it more uh now that I'm gone. Yeah. Um and quite often I've been asked that question. Um and at the time I, to be honest I think I was probably too young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got there when I just turned 19. I graduated when I was 23. Um and, and looking back on it, for, for me and my own personal and, and spiritual and, and emotional development, I was probably too young. Um, you know, I got through school. I, I graduated magna cum laude. I, I kept my academic scholarship throughout school. Uh, I was a pretty good student. I was good at regurgitating things for exams. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I really appreciated um, the education that I got at the time. Um, I think so that that middle to late 90s, because I graduated in, in October 2000, so I was there from 96 to 2000. 
And, um, you know, with the education that you got there was still a chiropractic education. The president at the time was, as you know, was Virgil, yeah. uh, Dr. Virgil Strang. Uh, he passed away while I was in, in second trimester. And then his replacement was Dr. Guy Reekman. So that's not I think too bad. Under, yeah, I think under, under Dr. Strang and Dr. Reekman, you can be assured that you get a pretty good chiropractic education. And, yeah. But I didn't appreciate it at the time. I mean, I appreciated things like West Hall and seeing all the names of, of you know, the old timers and, and those old benches in the halls with, uh, with you know, all these old timers' names engraved by the old timers themselves into those wooden benches. And, you know, I soaked up that atmosphere because, you know, I've always been a bit of a history buff and things like that. I love that. But, um, you know, looking back, and I think I probably could have learned a lot more and got a lot more out of it than what I actually um, did. But, um, but like I said, I played the game. I got out of there. I graduated and I got a license and uh, we've been going strong ever since. That's awesome. Well, that's just like me too. But again, you know, we, 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 we all have a journey, right? So we all yeah. come, we all come around at different times. So there's always, if there's any students out there and they're not getting what they want out of it, there's always hope for you. Right. Cause look at, look at both oh, of totally. us. We did pretty good and we weren't not, like, I wasn't even that great of a student and I didn't get that much from it. I was there for yeah. the, cause you were there for, Oh no, I, you centennial. Were you there for centennial? No, that was in 95. I got yeah, 95. there in 96. That's right. So, uh, because when I was there for Centennial, people were like, oh, that was great. Did you go see all the people? And I'm like, actually, I didn't go to one seminar, but I went to every social event. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I went to all the parties, but I didn't go to, I didn't go to actually. Yeah. The, yeah. The and, you know, and that's sometimes that it's, just, it's sometimes the, the way that it is when, when, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, I suppose. I mean, you yeah. know, having, I'm now in practice in my 18th year in practice and, um, you know, I, I see some guys come out of school nowadays who are just like I was, you know, as a stupid kid who still doesn't know the difference between, you know, their ass and their elbow. But, um, you know, then there are other kids that just go through school totally focused, totally, yeah. um, you know, totally on fire. And they come out of school, like, out of the starting blocks. And they go from, like, zero to 100 miles an hour, like, quick smart. And, and you know, chapeau to them. You know, I have all the respect in the world for them. But, you know... Like you said, everyone's on their own journey and everyone has their own pace and everyone's, you know, at that position on their journey that they're meant to be. And that's okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. and, and I'll, I'll ask for everybody else um, because I asked you when we were talking in, in uh, Malaga, but how, how did you decide to go to, to Germany from getting out of school? So being that's from very Australia. Easy. That's very easy. A four letter word, man. L-O-V-E, love. Yeah. Those yeah. darn girls. Well, exactly right. Well, one of those two German girls that I brought home on my first day um, at some stage became my girlfriend. And so we were girlfriend, boyfriend going through Parma. Um, and uh, you were still together at, at graduation. And uh, it was actually also another funny story because it, it got to the week of like literally the week of graduation. We'd both finished our clinic numbers and both kind of packing up and we were literally sitting on the couch in our apartment on West 13th street <laughs> And we're, and we're having this, you know, this, this dead serious heart-to-heart -heart conversation. So, okay, what are we going to do? We're here in America. You're a German. I'm an Aussie. We're like three days away from graduation. We've never spoken about this before. Um, are we both going to go to Germany? Are we both going to go to Australia? Are we both going to stay here in the States? Are you going to go to Germany and I'm going to go to Australia? What are we going to do? And literally while we're having this conversation, the phone rings. And, uh, and it's this guy in Germany, this chiropractor in Germany, and, and I happen to pick up the phone. And he said, well, hello, my name's so-and-so. I'm calling from Germany. I have a big practice here in Germany with seven chiropractors. And um, I'm having two people leave me next month. And I heard that you guys are graduating this month. I'd like to offer you guys a job. 
and you know me being the the, the cocky 23 year old kid that I was you know I, I wanted to you know play hard to get so uh, I thought well you know I have to speak about it and think about it we'll call you back and so I hung up and uh, we spoke about it and it was pretty clear we went oh do you want to and I said do you want to I said, okay <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like I said, I was I was 23 at the time. I had no other plans. I had I had, I had no possessions. I had no money. Um, I thought, well, you know, I'll do that for a couple of years and see what happens. So literally, like three minutes later, me playing hard to get, yeah, like uh, hello, it's me again. Yeah, we'll take it. And uh, <laughs> and so like we graduated on 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 Friday, the 27th of October, 2000, and uh, we were in Germany on the 1st of November, and I saw my first patient on the 3rd of November, 2000, not being able to speak a word of German. So that was uh, that's how I ended up in Germany. Wow. Yeah. And and that, I was I was talking to you about how how just imagine graduating because then you know you, you just have that that confidence issue because you're used to almost paying people to see you in student clinic <laughs> right just yeah. to get your numbers and you're paying to see people basically to actually collect yeah. and then also not being able to speak the language at the same time so like how how did how did that go for you like how did how long did it take to learn german well that was that was pretty interesting and like you know now that i uh, you know now that i i i dislike this part about it but at the time it was really beneficial because the germans are quite animated about their health now or, or about their sickness depending on how you look at it mm -hmm. so for example a german in a, in a in a case history will not sit there still and look at you and say well you know i've got this i've got this neck pain which goes then into my left shoulder and and you know when when i um when i lift up my shoulder or when i flex my fingers yeah the pain shoots down to my little finger um and you guys listen to the audio, you can't see this, but what instead what happens is they'll come in and they'll touch everything and they'll show everything. So they'll come in and say, yeah, I've got like this neck pain here and it goes down here into my shoulder. When I lift up my arm, it shoots down here into my little finger like this. And, and you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get up and dance like their symptoms for you. And, and so, you know, the first sort of three or four weeks, I literally sort of sat there and looked and wrote and looked and wrote and looked and wrote. It's like charades. It's like charades. Sort of. It was exactly charades. And, you know, me not understanding the damn word. And, uh, but you know, we got by and that was okay. And, and I still remember these two people. There were, there were two people in that sort of those first few weeks or those first couple of months who, who went to my boss after their case history and they said, look, sorry, I, I can't stay with this kid because one, he's, he's way too young. He, he can't possibly know anything being as young as he is. And, you know, I have the feeling he doesn't understand me. Yeah. And, uh, well, that was true because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand him at all. Um, but you know, at the, in the end, um, Chiropractic, I suppose, is somewhat of an international language because they were the only two. And uh, I was in that office for three, three and a half years, and they were the only two that ever left me. So uh, that was that was okay. That's that was, cool. it, was, it was a very steep learning curve, but it was uh, it was good. So let, let's 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 fast forward. You said you were there for two or three years, mm -hmm. and and so um, then what happened? Because you're basically uh, associate, right? Well, we were. I was there for about three, three and a half years. Yeah. And then, um, and I went over on a uh, on the, on a dealers like an independent contractor. Yeah. Um, and that started to become a bit of a grey area in German law. And uh, and what actually happened was uh, the state level. Um, it's really difficult for me to translate into English, but basically, the the state level governing body of of healthcare professions uh, investigated a practice where I was. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, and uh, they found out that it's a it's a situation called um, Schein Selbstständigkeit, which basically is like, oh, I totally get that. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is basically like um, pseudo independent contractors. Right. Basically, they, they charge you um, as being an employee, but acting as an, an independent contractor. And that's, yeah. and that's involved with, you know, all different kinds of social security and insurance payments and back payments and the whole thing. So there was a there was a there was a court case about that, and that was sort of settled out of court. And uh, and luckily, um, I won that court case, or won that settlement out of court. And because of that court uh, court case back in uh, two thousand and three, um, chiropractic was declared um, an independent contractor or a self-employed um, profession. Um, and basically their, their deal was because people used to come over to Jeremy saying, well, I'm going to work under the license of an established chiropractor. Right. And it was a practice that was done for years and years and years and years and years. And, uh, and me being you know, a naive 23 year old, I bought it and I went for it. But in actual fact, it was a very legal gray area. And, you know, that sort of started to come up and people got in like a quite a bit of trouble about it. And, you know, I was one of those targets, but, uh, because of that, they basically said, you know, we've decided that chiropractic is a self-employed uh, profession and there is such thing as an independent contractor because there is no way that the lead chiropractor can be with, um, with, with the second-tier chiropractor, with the associate chiropractor, with the secondary chiropractor all of the time. Basically, the chiropractor needs to make his own clinical decisions based on his clinical findings and his clinical observations in that moment, at that time, with that patient. Um, and because of that, it's obviously a self-employed individual um, um, professional situation. Um, and I've still got that, that piece of paper and that declaration. Um, but unfortunately, you know, there are still people today who get uh, picked up for working under that law and uh, are getting in big trouble with big fines, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, they'll learn at some stage. And, and maybe just so, you know, people sort of, yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say, maybe just describe for some of the listeners out there, because uh, chiropractic is kind of, you're, you're explaining it to us before, how you're kind of grouped with like naturopaths and acupuncturists, like just, right. just maybe explain how it's, uh, how you're regulated. Yeah. Well, um, in, in Germany, healthcare is kind of divided, or the, the practice of healthcare professions is kind of divided into two two camps, yeah, and there's a fence down the middle. On the one side of the fence, there's the medical profession. So anything that, that we Western people consider the medical profession. And then on the other side, everything is lumped under the, uh, under the umbrella of Heil Praktiker. And Heil Praktiker literally translated means healing practitioner. So you're either a Western medical person or you're a Heil Praktiker. So under Heil Praktiker are things like you said, uh, naturopaths, homeopaths, uh, physical therapists, acupuncturists, um, and including osteopaths and chiropractors. And, uh, and so the, the story goes back, uh, way back into the 30s. The first sort of German guy who went to Parma, graduated and came back to Germany uh, was in the 1930s. And, um, and he opened up a, a practice in Berlin. And, uh, you know, being the only chiropractor in all of Germany, he very quickly had a very large practice. And, and just like what happened in the States, he, he drew a bit of attention to himself and he was charged with practicing medicine without a license. Yeah, and uh, and he literally, as it was in the 1930s in America as well, he used BJ's defence and said, "Well, you know, I'm not practicing medicine; I'm practicing chiropractic." And uh, and the judge agreed with him, um, but legally didn't know what to do with him. So he said, "Look, um, you know, can you please take the hard practicer exam, and uh, we'll let you work as a hard practicer." Uh, and he did, and uh, and since then, you know, we've been working under the hard practical law from 1939. 
because of that uh, because of that same case. So, wow. Basically, but in in reality, it's kind of like a national board, and it's got nothing to do with chiropractic. Yeah. Um, but from what I hear, a lot of national boards don't have much to do with chiropractic. <laughs> I don't think I've seen one national board that has much to do with chiropractic. <laughs> and, uh, and so when people sort of come over here, I, they sort of say, oh, well, look, you know, can I work without speaking German? Can I work without the chiropractic exam? I said, look, do yourself and everyone else a favor. Do the exam, pass the exam, and then practice conscientiously and everything will just be fine. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the, in reality, there are no real shortcuts. You know what I mean? You sit down, you study hard, you take the test, you pass the test. End of story. And, and you know, the test is uh, depending on where you do it because it's um, it's not even state to state different. It's it's county to county different or district to district different. Um, and you know, it's mine for example was a hundred multiple choice questions, and if you passed, uh, I think it was either seventy or seventy five percent was the pass grade. Um, you got let through to, a, to an oral exam, which was uh, in front of uh, a medical doctor, um, a field doctor and a field hard practicer. And, and they just drilled you with questions until they either like you or they don't. And, uh, and, uh, and you know, when you, when you pass both those parts of that exam, you're given your license and, and you're allowed to do your thing. And interestingly enough, according to the hard practical law, you can do almost anything, you know, up to and including minor surgery. So it's a, it's a, when you actually look at it, it's, it's a mind-blowing law. It's a mind-blowing system. Um, but, you know, it's been working here for over 100 years. So I suppose, you know, it can't be too bad. Is, is there certain restrictions that you have to be careful of, like over in North America? Like there's certain things you're, we're not allowed to talk about and stuff like that. Do you guys, do you guys have limits like that too? No. Um, I think, um, well, a big part of the, the chiropractic uh, um, law and the exam is knowing your legal rights. Mm -hmm. um, so there are, there are certain things about uh, what chiropractors are allowed to do. Um, for example, they're allowed to inject glucose, but they're not allowed to inject insulin because with glucose, you can't kill anybody, but with insulin, you can. Um, so you need to know those kind of things. Um, although, you know, I'd never dream of it, you know, injecting anybody with anything, but under the hard practical law, it's, it's something that you're allowed to do. Um, and, and those kind of things. There is a bit of an, an, an advertising thing. There is a bit of sort of saying, you're not allowed to say, um, you know, we can cure this, this and this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, you know, but, you know, as a, as, you know, a, a vitalistic chiropractor, that would never be anything that came out of my mouth anyway. 100%. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy testimonials and I like testimonials. I think testimonials are very uh, powerful and I have no problem saying that, you know, um, Susie, while under chiropractic care, happened to notice these improvements in her health and her life. Um, you make your own conclusion. Um, yeah. But to sort of to advertise to say, well, you know, this is chiropractic constable and we cure X, Y, and Z. Well, that would, that would not be very favorably looked upon, no. No, 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 that's good. And like you said, if we're talking about vitalistic chiropractic, that's not what we do in the first place, right? So, well, that's exactly right. So cool. Um, tell me a little bit about the shift. So tell me a little bit about the shift of how when you're practicing kind of a little bit more in that mechanistic model and what was that that kind of drew you, drove you a little bit more to that? Well, yeah, well, when I, uh, at Palmer, I was in, in, in clinic at Palmer, I was in Mod 3 and, uh, and Mod 3 was known as the Voodoo Lounge at Palmer. Um, because they were the techniques like um, SOT, Atlas Orthogonal, Nuka, um, you know, the techniques that at the time were maybe a little bit sort of out there. Yeah. Um, and the other two modules, Mod 1 and Mod 2, are where you sort of more saw the, the, the Palmer Package techniques, um, like, you know, Diversified and Thompson and Gonstead and, you know, these kind of techniques. And, and so um, it kind of started there a little bit. 
but when I went to um, to Germany, the practice that I went into uh, was a long-established practice. The guy was a 1970 or 1972 Palmer grad himself. Yeah. Um, but he'd been in practice for a long time. He was very well known in town. Um, and uh, and I think in his in his heart of hearts, he, he was also a vitalist. Mm. Um, but you know, being being a chiropractic pioneer in a country, it's it's sort of um, it gets lonely, and I think you know, we sort of end up on our own little island, and, and sort of bad habits kind of creep in there from time to time, I suppose. And you know, if you have patient after patient after patient after patient who is born and raised in the medical model, and they just pummel you with that every day, it's very hard to sort of stand your ground and to stay your lane. So, um, I think in that in that first practice, I kind of picked up a, a couple of you know, um, I don't want to say bad habits. I think it's the the wrong word, but maybe maybe habits that weren't quite as vitalistic as they could have been mm-hmm. um but it worked and and you know i uh i w- was straight out of college i'd never seen any other sort of practice and you know i thought i was doing pretty good you know i, was, I thought i was i was um, you know taking care of patients well i thought i was seeing a pretty good number of patients uh, i thought i was you know um, because it is a business you know money does play a role i thought i was earning a pretty good amount of money and all that kind of stuff and you know things were good mm-hmm. um but um and it, sort of two things happened that they correspond at the same time. One was I got to like my late twenties, early thirties. And, uh, and I got home from work uh, one day from the office one day and I'd only seen like, I don't know, 25, 30 people in that day, which was, which was normal for me at the time. And I was absolutely rooted. I was absolutely knackered and uh, you know, my body hurt and my head hurt and I was just exhausted. And I thought, hey, do I have to do this the next 30, 35 years? I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do it. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it. Um, and that was sort of like, well, wow, what am I going to do here? Yeah. And, uh, and the second thing was uh, my father was diagnosed with colon cancer. And, uh, and that was a big shock because um, when I left Palmer and went to Germany, that was a big shock for dad because you remember I told you he came over for me when I started Palmer. Yeah, and then he went back a few days later, and, he, and I didn't see him again until he, he came over to graduation. So that was a good three and a half years, and uh, it was actually on graduation day that I said, "Look, Dad, sorry, but I'm I'm not coming home with you to Australia. I'm going to Germany. I'm going to set up practice in Germany." And that really kind of broke his heart. That was the that was a big sort of um, emotional hurdle for him, and mm-hmm. um, and you know, so that sort of we we didn't lose contact, but it was just something that he took a long, long time to get over. And it was really sort of about five years later that, that he sort of really sort of, you know, was almost over it. And we'd arranged for him to come over to Germany. And I wanted to see the practice that I was in. I wanted him to see the apartment that I had. I wanted him to see the car that I was driving. I wanted to see the life that I'd built for myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, it was like two weeks before he was meant to come over. And we had like our call on the, on the, on the phone. And he said, look, I'm not coming. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, I've just been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And, uh, and that was, of course, you know, a huge shock. And, uh, and you know, when I heard that, though, I went straight into, you know, that, that, that mechanistic, uh, medipractic kind of mode. And, you know, anything that I'd, I'd known and picked up over the years, mm-hmm. um, I went into that. And, you know, so I started sending him um, books and CDs and DVDs. And I ended up sending him, uh, like, nutritional supplements and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And... Funnily enough, even this, uh, I forget what it's called, but I think it was literally called like black powder. And it was, and it was like some magic black powder from Canada. 
um, <laughs> that, that I sent. I, like, it cost me an absolute fortune, but, uh, but you know, I sent it to him anyway. And, uh, and you know, I sort of called him and I tried to coach him and I wanted to be updated on every step of the way and the whole thing. And, and you know, Dad, when I, when I got into chiropractic, Dad got into chiropractic too. And, uh, and he went every sort of two weeks to, to his chiro and, and, uh, and that was okay. Um, but when he was faced with this major health challenge, um, then he fell back into his old uh, pattern and went right back into that medical model that he'd been indoctrinated with and, and raised upon. Mm. Um, and I don't blame him for that because it's just the way he was brought up. Yeah. I mean, it was the way I was brought up as well. But, um, but you know, he, he, he relied on, on, you know, the medical doctors, the opinion that he had. And, and uh, I, have to, I have to say that the medical team that took care of him was uh, for that type of medicine and for that type of problem, they were top shelf. They were top notch. And uh, he was in the hands of, uh, of Australia's leading uh, uh, gastroenterological surgeon. And, uh, and his oncologist was, was, was world class, was actually world renowned, uh, an Australian oncologist. And, uh, and you know, he was operated upon where he, where he lost most of his large intestine and he was given a colostomy bag and the whole bit and the whole thing. And, and the chemotherapy and the radiation therapy and the whole thing. And like I said, I was just pounding him with all this stuff from my perspective. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then about three years later, he, he sort of fought for a good three years. And, uh, and then one night, like about 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, his oncologist, the guy named Dr. Silver called me and I'd had a f- couple of phone conversations with him in the past. And, and he knew that I was a chiropractor and he sensed that, you know, I wasn't stupid and I, I knew what was going on. And so we had pretty open and frank conversations and, and he said, "Look, Danny, if you wanna, if you ever want to see your dad alive again, you'd better get home now." And uh, and I said, "Well, what do you mean?" And he goes, "Now." And so uh, that was like ten o'clock on a Saturday night, and like midnight, like two hours later, I was on the last flight out of Frankfurt, which happens to be a Melbourne flight. Um, and I, I literally had no bags with me. I, you know, I had like my wallet, a change of undies, like a carry bag, and, and you know that was it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I quickly called mum, saying, "I'm coming." And, you know, mum and dad had no contact and, and you know, sort of informed mum about what was going on. And, uh, and so she was a bit shocked and, you know, she met me at the, at the airport 24 hours later because, you know, Frankfurt to Melbourne, 24 hour flight. Wow. And uh, she picked me up and we went straight to the hospice where he'd been moved and, um, you know, eventually found him and, and didn't recognise him actually in that. I hadn't, I'd seen him about six months before I would visited uh, Melbourne and Sydney for some reason. And, and I'd, and I met up with him in Sydney and uh, he was still on chemo and radiation therapy and he was really jaundicey because, yeah. um, because colon cancer has the tendency to metastasize to the biliary system. Yeah. And uh, so he, his gallbladder and, and pancreas was, you know, full of metastases and things like that. So it was quite jaundicey and yellow and, and a bit irritable because the radiation therapy and chemotherapy, a side effect of that is skin irritation and itchiness and things like that. And he was like quite irritable and stuff. Um, but he was, you know, he was still you know, dad, he was still like the old man. And then, uh, but like five months later, uh, I walked into his hospice room. I didn't recognize him. I did not recognize him. He was, he was, he was just skin and bones and, and just sunken into his bed. And, and uh, the only thing I recognize him, because I talk about this when, you know, when I've, when I've held talks, I've told this story. The only thing I recognized on him was his eyes. Cause my old man had sort of really intense eyes that just like looked right through you. And, uh, and, you know, I spent the next three days and I didn't leave his side. And, uh, and then like on the, I think on the third day after I'd gotten there, I was just sitting there and, and, uh, like I said, my folks were, were divorced at the time. So dad had a girlfriend and her name was Anne. My mum's name is Jan. So Jan was in the cafeteria. Anne was out for a walk and, 
And, you know, Dad and I were just sitting there. We're, I think we were watching something stupid on the TV. Dad sort of, you know, dozed in and out of consciousness. And then at one stage, he sort of, he, he turned his head to me and he looked at me and he said, oh, look, um, do you think you could adjust me? And, uh, and I talk about this in my talks that uh, it was literally the, um, the most ashamed I've ever been of myself in my entire life because, uh, you know, although I had a full academic scholarship to, um, to Palmer living in the States, you know, for an Aussie family, it was not cheap. You know, I had to start to pay rent and I started to you know, pay for food and this, that and the other. And, and basically for me to get to Palmer, my folks um, took a second mortgage out on the family home. And, yeah. uh, and you know, the bulk of which, you know, dad had to took over on, on a high school teacher's wage. So he'd sacrificed pretty much everything he had to, to get me to chiropractic school. And, and I hadn't even thought about checking him and adjusting him. It hadn't even entered my mind. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, when he asked me that question, I was just looking for a hole in the ground to swallow me up. But, um, you know, I said, yeah, of course I would. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I actually adjusted him. I adjusted his atlas and his axis, and, uh, and, uh, which was quite a surreal uh, kind of experience because he was, uh, I don't know if you've had any experience with people in end-stage cancer, but he was stiff as a board. He was skin and bones, but he was stiff as a board. He was immovable. Um, but his atlas and his axis just exploded when I adjusted them. Um, but it took just this massive guttural breath when I did that. This, I've never, I've never heard that sound or seen that ever before. And, uh, and when I, I let him go, I went back around to the side of the bed and I sat down next to him and I held his hand and, and he sort of breathed for a couple of minutes. And then, um, you know, he, he turned over and he, and he looked at me and, uh, he said, thank you. And, uh, he rolled back into the middle and, uh, and passed away in that next breath, he, he passed away. And, uh, and that was just a, a pretty pivotal monumental kind of moment. And, uh, and that's when I sort of figured out, you know what, there's, there's more to chiropractic than just uh, head pain, neck pain, back pain. This, this, there's more to chiropractic than seeing 20, 30 people a day with, you know, neck pain and shoulder pain. There's something a little more profound there. There's something a little bit more magical there. There's something a little bit more spiritual there that I need to tap into. And, uh, and that's when that's when it started. That was the kickstart to the shift. And then the next sort of two or three years, I spent traveling the world, looking at vitalistic practices, speaking with vitalistic people. And uh, that's where I ran into, uh, you know, in no particular order, um, Billy D in California, Brad Glowacki in California, Dr. Fred Schofield in, in Phoenix, Arizona, um, Dr. Mark Hudson and Lynn McEvania in Spain. Um, uh, you know, I know I've forgotten people or, or will forget people and I apologise for that. But, you know, all of these people, I just saw them practice and saw the way they lived and saw the way they spoke. And I said, that's what I've been looking for. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've been looking for. And uh, and so I spent the next sort of, you know, two or three years trying to convert my practice into, into those kind of things. And uh, it was <laughs> dying a thousand deaths because... Uh, I, can, I tell you, one of the hardest things in the world is changing a mechanistic office into a vitalistic office. It's a nightmare, man. Um, <laughs> because, you know, like I said, I, I was pretty established at the time. I'd been in practice, you know, eight, nine, ten years by that time. And, uh, and you know, like I said, I, had a, I thought I had a good number of patients. I thought I was earning good money and, and I was afraid of losing that. And I really had the – I went into the, the chiropractic dumpster mode. And um, you know what the dumpster mode is, right? No. Well, I probably do, but I don't know if you've just yeah, described the, it. The dumpster mode is, you know, oh, well, if I change my practice, everyone's going to hate me and they're all going to leave me. I'm not going to earn any money. I'm going to be living in a dumpster. Yes. That's the chiropractic dumpster mode. Yes. Um, basically, you know, the panic button, the fear mode. And, 
I wanted to avoid that at all costs. So for, you know, three or four, two or three very painstaking years, uh, I converted a, a mechanic, mechanistic office into a vitalistic office. And uh, I can honestly say lost most of my patients, but uh, I survived and uh, I kept a number of patients uh, who have who've made the change with me. And uh, interestingly, over the years, the old ones keep trickling back in as well. And, uh, Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, it's all been for the better. And, uh, you know, I mean, now I'm in the smallest office that I've ever been in. I'm in 95 square metres. I have three adjusting bays with five tables. And uh, we've never been happy. We've never seen more people. We've never seen more new patients. Uh, we've never had a better PVA. Uh, we've, we've never had more collections or more profit. You know, any, any indicator that, you know, people use to measure success in chiropractic offices, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've never been uh, healthier, more successful. So it's been great. And, and in your energy, like that, like it, it, it oh. talk about the shift just personally for, for unbelievable. That. Um, the, I think the, like it, like that practice kind of shift or where it was noticeable. I, I told you, I saw like my 20, 30 people in that one day and I just got yeah. home and I was wrecked. Yeah. And uh, I think it was the day that I first saw a hundred in a day. And yeah. uh, at the end of that day, um, like the, I'd finished the last person and the next adjusting bay, no one was lying there. Yeah. And it was like this sense of disappointment. No one's there. What's going on? And, uh, <laughs> and I sort of bounced out to the front desk and I thought, Hey, where's the next one? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was, it was in that moment where they said, well, you're done, you're finished. And, uh, and that's when I noticed that energy level. I was just, I was just pumped up, ready to go. And, uh, and I said, oh, so that's what this is all about. That's what this is, you know, what, this is what's going on. And, uh, and, you know, so that was sort of the first time where I noticed that difference in practice that, you know, because, you know, I used to think, you know, me seeing 20, 30 people a day and being absolutely wrecked, how are these people seeing 100, 152, 250 people a day? How are they physically, mentally doing that? It's like I can't possibly fathom or imagine anybody doing that. Yeah. Um, but like I said, when I went and saw, you know, Dr. DeMoss and Dr. Glowacki and, uh, and Dr. Schofield and Dr. Hudson in practice, uh, they do it like they're in cruise control. It's unbelievable. But, uh, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, guys who practice at that level mostly doesn't happen overnight. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I regard them actually as like chiropractic athletes. Yep. Uh, but they've trained and worked really, really hard to get to that level that they're at. And, uh, and so, you know, that was a realization for me that made me feel better too, because making the decision that that's what you want and then actually getting there and achieving that, it's not like an overnight thing. It's uh, it's something that you need to work on and train for. And, uh, and that's what I've been doing ever since. That's cool. So if, if someone was in that transition, so somebody listening, driving in their car and, and they're like, you know what, I'd like to get, I'd like to get that feeling where I have yeah. more energy. Um, what kind of uh, advice would you get for the first few steps to, to maybe to get into that transition? Oh, that's, that's hard because I, I, I can't really do it in any particular order. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Like first you've got to do this and then you've got to do this and then you've got to do this. But I think that one of the first breakthroughs was for me was actually deciding what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's your life, it's your career, it's your office, it's your people you're taking care of. It depends on what you want. So for a little while, I was a little bit uh, tripped out on the number game. And, um, and, you know, people impressed me, the high number of people they saw. 
Right. Um, but that changed for me. One, uh, when I found out it was mostly all bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, which means, you know, you know, as much as I love the chiropractic profession and chiropractors, man, they're full of shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, um, don't believe anything you hear. You know, just believe, you know, things that you see for yourself. Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the things was, you know, comparing myself with other people. And if, and if people were, you know, doing better in my eyes or what I thought were doing better, uh, that used to pull me down like crazy. Uh, and then one of my good friends in chiropractic, Dr. Bradley Roush, he said, you know, I heard him speak once and, um, and he said, you know, um, comparing yourself with other people is one of the biggest dream killers that I've ever experienced. And, and, and it's true. Um, so that's why I say, you know, the numbers game and the volume game doesn't really inspire me anymore. Um, what inspires me is people finding out what they want. Yeah. Having like a goal. This is the type of office that I want to have. And then, working on and finding out and building a plan how they're going to achieve that office and then with high focus and discipline working that plan until they get there and that's that's something that that sort of you know that juices me really good and uh i have respect for people who do that so at the end of the day the the number of people you see doesn't really interest me doesn't really bother me um but at the same time i really hate wasted potential yeah i, I love seeing people fulfill their potential so just to use random numbers, if you know, if someone has the potential to be a hundred a day person, a hundred a day guy or girl, yeah. but they're seeing 20, 30 or 40 a day because they're comfortable or maybe a little lazy, um, that's really disappointing. Um, but, but you know, if someone is from their nature at 30, 40, 50 people a day and, and that's their goal and that's their plan and that's their discipline, that's their focus and that's where that's their soft spot. That's where they're happy and healthy. Perfect, man. Not a problem. You're a friend of mine. And, um, and I think that's important that people find out what they want. Um, they make a plan, they work the plan and they don't compare themselves with other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said at the start of uh, yeah, our chat, you know, people are on their own journey, they're on their own path. And, uh, and even if they're on the same path, they're at different places on that path. Um, yeah. So, you know, comparing people to other, comparing yourself to other people is, is nonsensical. It's a huge waste of time and energy and, uh, and something we need to get over and, uh, and put past us. Now, again, this will probably be a little bit linked together with this, with this answer too, but for, you know, you got those other group of, of chiropractors that might just feel plateaued or stagnant or a little bit burnt out, um, but they're doing good. They're paying the bills kind of like how you were, you know, you're kind of like things are good. Um, what kind of recommendations would you have for those guys? Even though there's not the one put two, three, four. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think like, one of the one of the biggest things for me as well was also my private life, mm-hmm. um, because you know, um, with with all due respect um, to my German girlfriend at the time, who's still a chiropractor here in Germany and and someone who I still have a lot of respect for, um, our private relationship at, at at some stage was over. Yeah, it wasn't because you know anybody was 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 bad or did anything bad or, or whatever. Um, the time was just over. It was, it was time to change. It was time to go. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so that, that was, you know, a, a hold back in a sense for both of us. And then, you know, the, the relationship I got into after that um, was in a lot of aspects great, but in the chiropractic aspect, wasn't so great simply because she simply wasn't interested in chiropractic, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. which is, you know, which is, which is okay because, you know, chiropractic, you know, 
uh, is not for everybody, although it is for everybody. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it just wasn't her thing. So, uh, you know, being having, you know, going in that direction, but having someone in your life who's not towing the line is really energy sapping. Yeah? Yes. Um, but thankfully, you know, I was uh, smart enough or, or lucky enough that the universe uh, sent me the right woman and uh, I was... Um, smart enough to recognize that she was the right woman. So I very quickly put a ring on it and, and married her. And, uh, and now I have, um, you know, I've never been happier in my private life than I ever have been before. I have a beautiful wife. I have two amazing children and, uh, and they're both totally, or they're all on totally on, uh, on the chiropractic um, page. Like Coco, my wife, she works in the office um, whenever she can. And she's like the office manager, I suppose. She's the bookkeeper, the finance uh, Let's face it, she's the boss. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> oh, I know uh, all of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, she's, she's in the office getting adjusted at least once a week. Our kids are in the office once or twice a week getting checked and adjusted. Um, you know, it's just like we've turned into a chiropractic family. Do you know what nice. I mean? And, yeah. Uh, and, the, and the practice and the family life is like the center of our lives. And, uh, and so there's, there's no like, there's no difference in energy level. There's no difference in, in, in emotional level. So that's why... There's no energy drains anymore. There's no energy vampires anymore. Yeah. yeah. And because uh, I think, you know, the drain is not really, you know, pushing on backs. Yeah. The, the drain is all of the stuff around it. And uh, so, you know, if you remove the noise um, and get everybody on the same page, then there's no real reason why you won't be juiced and full of energy. But of course, you know, like I said, also, these guys that work at that high level, um, I see them as chiropractic athletes. Um, and they behave and train like professional athletes as well. Yep. And, and, you know, there's a difference between hobby athletes like weekend warriors and there's a difference between pro athletes. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's the same in chiropractic. There are, there are weekend warrior chiropractors and then there are professional A-grade chiropractors and there's a world of difference. And, and a lot of that difference is the training and the discipline that they do. Um, so, you know, during my change and my transformation, my daily routine in the office and outside of the office has changed as well. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that's um, meditation or whether that's um, uh, family time, like, like focus family time, or whether that's my present time consciousness or my focus in the office. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that changes sort of big time. And, and you know, it was Dr. Fred Schofield who, who changed my mindset um, when he said, look, you have to, you have to be like, have the mindset of a professional athlete and, uh, and, you know, living here in Germany, I'm a, I'm a Bayern Munich fan. And, uh, and he tapped into that pretty, pretty quickly. And he said, you know, you have to have the Bayern Munich mentality and here in Germany, Bayern Munich literally don't lose. Yeah. They, they win title after title after title after title. Um, and they're in like the, at least the, the semifinal of the champions league, like almost every year. Um, you know, there's just like, they're just like a winner club. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's the mentality. Whenever you see it from the, from the CEO down to the guy who cleans the boots, they all have the same mentality. It's like, just like this, this focus winner mentality. And, uh, and, you know, it was Dr. Fred Schofield who sort of changed my mentality with that. So, you know, when I walk in the office nowadays, it's, it's game on. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's game face on, game on, bang, let's go. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, when I walk in that door, it's like, you know, the start whistle. And then when I leave that door, then it's like the end of game whistle. And, you know, any time in between there, it's game on. And, uh, and I'm there to win. And, uh, and I'm there to win with, you know, every patient in Canada that I have. And that kind of makes it fun too. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. 
you know, it's, it's kind of like, because you know, you know how it is as well. I'm sure every chiropractor experiences that. 9,999 patients out of 10,000. Yeah, yeah. Are not bought up in our model. <laughs> yeah, totally. So they will, they will pummel you with their medical model and with their headaches, neck aches and back aches and all day, every day. And I take that as a challenge. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this guy. I'm going to change this guy. Like with this adjustment right now, we're going to change it. Yeah, and I take that as like a competition every time. And that just sort of helps with the focus and, uh, and helps with the energy and helps with the fun as well. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, well, we're getting closer to our time. So I, I always oh. like to end. I know it just flew by. It was like, um, but uh, I always like to end with uh, having my guests, uh, you know, take the floor and just give, give some words of advice or something that's on your mind to, uh, to share with the underdog nation out there who might feel like they're underdogs or feel like they're knocked down or feel like they're a little bit stale in their life and, and, uh, and see if you have any part, parting words of wisdom for, for the people out there. I hate doing this <laughs> interview <laughs> because you know I don't want to stand like the knowing prop because that's you know by far and away not the case. But I think the theme the chat Don has been you know um, one decide what you want and two go for it and don't worry about what anyone else is thinking or saying or doing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, don't compare yourself with other people because, you know, everyone's on their own journey and everyone's on at their, at their own spot on their journey. And it just doesn't matter. And, and you know, whether it's in school, you know, because like I said, I was a straight A university student. I was a magna cum laude, Palmer grad. Do you know how many people in 18 years of practice have asked me about my grades? Zero. Zero. Not one. <laughs> Nada. Um, it just doesn't matter. Like people don't, when people pass on, they're not remembered for how many people they saw or how much money they made or how fast their car was or how big their house was. They're not remembered for that stuff. They're remembered for the people that they were. You know what I mean? They're remembered for the people who loved them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they're remembered by their husband or wife that they left behind, by their kids who they left behind. Yeah. By their friends and family they left behind. Yeah, you know, chiropractic is great. Chiropractic is, you know, it's who I am. It's my passion. It's it's my life. Um, but life itself is bigger than that. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, get over yourself, calm down, relax a little bit, and focus on the important stuff. Do you know what I mean? Be healthy, love somebody, let somebody love you, have kids, raise a family, you know, grow up a little bit. It's cool. Just relax and, and, and be cool. And then, you know, do your thing not too much can go wrong. That's awesome. Well, thanks brother. I appreciate you being no worries, on the podcast. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. Like love the stories and, um, and the insights too. So everybody chill out <laughs> and don't forget like always to crush the curse. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you receive value from this episode, please take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. If you know a fellow chiropractor that could benefit from this message, please share it with them. Because it's my goal to provide you with great content, please contact me if you have any questions at drdonmcdonald.com or find me on Facebook. I look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.